This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The fast-moving pandemic has made a lot of people change their minds about the threat it poses and how to deal with it. One of those people is Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, who is a frequent contributor to this show. And when we first started preparing for COVID-19, she downplayed the danger and, I might add, ended up taking a lot of flack on social media with tweets like this one, pointing out that, quote, in January, this doctor was saying coronavirus was nothing to worry about, all hype. Well, Dr. Gorfinkel acknowledges that she was wrong about that and her ideas have changed significantly. And she joins me now. Hi, Dr. Gorfinkel. How are you? I'm doing well, Libby, although I'm eating the humble pie. Yep. Eating the humble pie. Okay, well, uh, you are at least acknowledging that. Um, so uh, give us an idea about how your ideas of this uh, evolved. It's interesting. You know, I'm a family doctor. So as a family doctor, I, you know, look to my training. I look to my life experience. And then along comes this, which we call the black swan. It suddenly appears unexpectedly. And was I wrong? Absolutely, I was wrong. And not just about one thing, but about a number of things. First, I was comparing it to influenza, which we now know it is not. I was hopeful that come at the end of influenza season, it would go away. And that's not true either. Looking at the experience in other countries, you know, warm countries like India, they're still having high numbers despite warm weather. So that's not going to take it away. I had felt that the likelihood of a pandemic in the Canadian context was low and was wrong again about that. You and I personally had a conversation about shaking hands. Right. Again, wrong. So it's interesting how, you know, the, the concept of a family doctor understanding what to do in pandemics is probably not a very good one. We have to look to people with expertise in pandemics to help guide the thinking around this. It's easy to have 2020 hindsight. And the reason I so publicly want to embrace the things that I was wrong on is because it is important that our health leaders do the same, that we create a space of intellectual agility for them, that they can embrace what was done wrong, learn from that, and say, okay, we can do better. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that. I was going back through uh, the, the uh, segments that I did on this, and, you know, you are not alone. I was quoting Teresa Tam saying that the risk of spread here in Canada was low, and, and this is a woman who went through star, SARS and wrote a pandemic preparedness report back in 2006 that envisioned something eerily like what we are going through now. So, you know, who knows? I think that the response has to be a scientific response and not an emotional response. I think that for our health leaders, for the, for and anyway, our political leaders, we need to create a zone of emotional safety that allows them to say, yes, I was wrong about that. And you know what? I'm going to change what I do now in view of the new information that I have. And that is critical. It's actually thinking like a scientist. 
And in fact, I don't look at being wrong as necessarily a bad thing. It is something that I can learn from. I can then change and I can do, um, you know, policies for a country that can make a difference. Well, you know, uh, Part of what's coming out now, and, and I would agree, I mean, I'm, I'm really trying to avoid second-guessing second our leaders. However, one of the things that's coming out that I find particularly disturbing, even though it is early for the hindsight, and that is that we were deliberately misled by China at the beginning of this thing, and that the WHO, the World Health Organization, was complicit in misleading the world. Uh, so I find that very disturbing. You know, what, I, what breaks my heart about what happened is that Taiwan had so much to teach us. They had so much, like, they got it right. Their numbers are super low. Their deaths are super low. They, they avoided the lockdowns that we're now going through, the economic payments. Like, it's huge. And they did so many things right, and they were not part of that World Health Organization. Because of China. really a pity, because they could have taught us so much. Because, of the, because uh, they have an adversarial relationship with China, which doesn't recognize them. And it, it's very interesting that you bring that up, <clears throat> because I wasn't paying attention either, but my husband came back from the Far East on the last day of February, and he came through the airport in Taipei, Taiwan. And when he came home, he told me that he went through umpteen temperature checks in the airport and that he was probably the only person there who did not have a mask. And a stranger reached into her purse and she gave him one. Isn't and that he, something? You and he Taiwan? wore it. And yeah. uh, he was shocked that when he, he landed here, there was nothing. And, and when he told me this, I kind of shrugged my shoulders and repeated the guidance we were getting at the time, which was, you know, the temperature checks won't catch things and, and masks are unnecessary. There you you know, go. it's a lot easier for us to have intellectual agility than our leaders. The leaders can be punished for having that sort of intellectual agility. And I think as a public, we have to be very cognizant of giving them that space of saying, let's learn from what was. Let's move forward and learn from what has taken place. It's okay to be wrong. But no. what it's not okay is not to learn from having been wrong. Um uh, we know you heard from all kinds of uh, people on Twitter, but uh, have you heard from your patients about this? Oh, absolutely. And I think what's happening right now is a lot of my patients are having a, a lot of COVID anxiety. I mean, it's become a diagnosis from, well, that's like a personal diagnosis that I'll use. And, and I think what's happening is there's, there's actually a grieving going on, a grieving of what the life once was. You know, if, whether that translates into a career or cooking for somebody or going out and just socializing, whatever that self-definition was is now, in a way, dead. It's gone. And so people go through those same stages of grieving, denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, and then finally acceptance, that space in which we can establish new routines to replace the old. Uh, have you been doing virtual consultations with your patients? Only. Yeah. Oh. You And uh, are you busy with that? Is that like a full day of work? It is a full, full day of work. Yeah. So it's, it's actually, it, what's interesting is that the same health problems that they had before are continuing and now, you know, put on top of it all of the psychological and physical, you know, manifestations and worries of COVID. 
So it's, it's actually become very, very busy. What worries me about clinical practice is that I lose the ability to see them. Many of them I'm talking on the phone to. I lose the vital signs, which are called vital for a reason, and I lose the advantage of the physical examination. So I, I'm concerned about the potential for error in that space. Uh, and so, you know, if you had to give a percentage of how good a virtual consultation is, say, if you're seeing the patient, uh, what percentage would it get? You know, it's really hard to reduce it to that. Um, because if I'm wrong, I can be very wrong. <laughs> so, again, it's, it's one of these things. I guess I, so, I Iris. I know where, what I'm missing. It's like Rumsfeld used to say, you only know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. You cannot know what you don't know. That kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Rumsfeld. Uh, so, so it's okay for some things, but, but not for others is the bottom line on it. You know, especially those things involving pain. Pain is, is hard because I re- I, re- you know, I so, I rely on my physical examination. So as a result, what's happening, I suspect I'm ordering somewhat more tests than I normally would in an effort to try to compensate for what I don't have in terms of the physical examination. But where are they getting tests? Um, so laboratories are still open, you know, but they're doing, they're doing their best in terms of physical distance measuring, wearing masks, using hand sanitizer. Um, so the labs, it's still an essential service, and it's still ongoing. But we're trying to be very selective about whom we send and for what. Laboratories are also offering home visits. Like here in Ontario, it costs $40 to have somebody to come. And while that's a lot of money, for somebody who's staying at home, that may be worthwhile to consider. It's not oh. always possible, but that's, that's another method that we're using. Oh, so they, it's, it's the patient has to pay $40. Yes, that's an out-of-pocket payment for the patients, yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, Now, I know that there exist with, you know, some kinds of telemedicine they use for remote areas that you actually can get vital signs and stuff remotely. Yeah, I rely on my patients, actually. Many of them have home blood pressure units that they can check it. You know, that many people will have thermometers at home. They can check that. They can give subjective information about how their breathing is, but we know from previous research that subjective and, you know, subjective assessments, how, how do you think you're doing? How's your breathing? Actually, they're often really off. So, you know, relying on that is not always possible. Things like, do you have chest pain? Do you have abdominal pain? Yes, I can get that. But really understanding the degree to which they have pain, there's a large subjective component to that. And that's where the physical examination can make a big difference. And, uh, do you think that this will result in more virtual medicine, more virtual visits for certain things? I do. I think it's there's there's a certain there's a certain number of things that can be managed. The counseling aspects. If if I'm following up on blood tests and I just have to describe that, if I'm doing a medication re, you know renewal in which basically everything is steady as she goes, there's no real changes. That kind of stuff, I'm confident about. I feel great about that. It's more the new complaints. I have a new pain. I'm having, you know, a new symptom. Those worry me because I could, you know, there's the potential for being really wrong when, when we're relying just on what we hear or what we can see on a video screen. Okay. Um, 
it's time to wrap things up. What, what would you like to leave us with, uh, especially on your initial reaction to COVID? Just the, just the space that I was describing in, in which let's give our leadership the intellectual agility, the emotional safety zone that they need to say, I was wrong. I want to do better. Let's try to understand this. Let's, let's try to concentrate on the separation of politics from pandemic preparedness. They're actually two very separate things. And in this sense, the World Health Organization, it would be wise to try to break that up. You know, we don't want politics to interfere with pandemic preparedness. They're actually two very separate things. It's yeah, like state and religion, that. kind of. Yeah, good, we good luck work with that. We a single unit worldwide as opposed to separate countries, because the virus doesn't care if you're in Canada versus Taiwan. It's going to behave the same way. Okay. Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Libby. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.